and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about active listening skills for leaders. So how managers, team leaders, business owners, uh, CEOs and executive staff can use practical tools to help their teams, I'll particularly focus on the relationship with staff, whether it's your team or other staff within the organization, how you can help them to feel heard. Now, people don't often feel heard and understood by you saying things like, I understand. In fact, in some situations that can come across as quite dismissive. I understand, you know, the subtext I think is, I have already heard all of this before, why are you wasting my time type of thing. And so what tends to happen is that when we shortcut this, I guess, looking for that quick fix of helping the other person to feel understood just by saying you should be understood by now, what tends to happen is that they don't and they get more defensive and resistant. And if our goal is to create buy-in and engagement, we're looking at a change, for example, that would affect staff or we're just looking at them to improve their performance, then helping them to feel understood and establishing that sense of relatedness and connection will be something that's really important. I think though active listening skills are, are really essential also for navigating conflict It is the key in a lot of situations for reducing defensiveness and tension within the team. It is often the foundation that needs to be laid for us to coach somebody. They often need to feel like we understand where they're coming from and where their head's at and how they've experienced everything if they're going to be open to feedback or suggestions or us taking a coaching approach or however it is that we decide to support them. If they feel like we... uh, I guess, minimizing the challenges that they're experiencing or we just don't get it, we don't understand where they're coming from. It might create frustration, which can spill out then on from them towards us and ultimately prevent them from being receptive to any type of influence that we're hoping to have. It's also really helpful, I think, for shifting the conversation towards the future and the solution. A lot of my work is spent in workplace mediation, so resolving conflict between two staff, for example. And a lot of the time I really go at lengths to empathize and demonstrate active listening techniques early on in the mediation. And my goal is to help both of the people, the parties, I guess we normally call them in mediation, but the staff effectively in most of these situations. It helps them to, I guess, shift the mental focus from the past and the problem to the future and the solution. It's almost like, yep, no worries, we've dealt with that chapter, we can summarise what they've talked about until now. And then you often see they let out a breath, their shoulders drop, they say something like, that's right. And then we can ask a question that redirects the focus towards the future. Like, so given all of that, then what do you think needs to happen to make things right? Something like that. I think a common mistake that a lot of managers and leaders make is that they don't prioritise active listening and empathy particularly when there's a lot of change going on, I think, and you're under the pump and stretched and quite under pressure and time poor effectively. One of the things that often gets left behind earliest is time spent listening to staff. It might be time listening to them complain (laughs) and whinge and sometimes talk about negative experiences or maybe even just sort of having a sense that their leader understands where they're at at the moment and what their experience is like. And so what happens when this is not dealt with adequately is that staff might not feel a sense of connection, a sense of belonging, 
which then makes it much more difficult to use a collaborative leadership style where you're wanting input from staff. And one of the prerequisites for that is that people are willing to make themselves vulnerable. And if they don't feel like you understand what's going on for them, it's going to be much more difficult for them to do that. So in the episode today, I'm going to be talking about a similar active listening model that I usually talk about when I'm doing conflict resolution training, the EAR model, E-A-R, Explore, Acknowledge and Respond. I like this as a very simple acronym that helps us to understand the steps involved, but I find it particularly useful because it really helps us to identify the importance, particularly of those first two steps, Explore and Acknowledge. I think that's often where the real opportunity is for leaders to develop more skills and use different tools than they're normally used to using, or maybe just spend some more time focusing on this. And then it means that however you decide to respond, the third step in the process, you'll have a much higher likelihood of a positive outcome. Before we get into that though, just a thank you very much as always for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, the best thing that you can do is leave us a positive review, particularly if you're listening on one of the large platforms like Spotify or Apple what is it? Apple Podcasts, the iTunes. Gosh, it's hard to keep track of all the different acronyms of these services. A positive review if this episode is helpful for you is really useful for me. So thank you in advance if you'd be prepared to take a moment to do that. And if you're interested in more free resources, training information, that kind of thing around the topic of conflict, usually focused on workplace situations, whether it's dealing with conflict with clients or staff or maybe interdepartmental conflict or maybe even conflict with your boss, but also looking at family, parenting, uh, couple relationships, ex-partner challenges and that kind of thing too. A lot of the time we focus on a specific topic like dealing with a customer complaint, but the frameworks and the approaches that I talk about are often quite transferable to other situations, like your teenager complaining to you about something that they're unhappy about. So let's get into that topic. The first step, as I mentioned before in the acronym, is the E, which stands for explore. We're going to focus on exploring before we then acknowledge and respond. And I think in terms of how do we explore, we basically use a mix of open-ended questions, closed-ended questions, and what's sometimes called reflecting or mirroring. So open-ended questions are really helpful because the other person's in charge of what's important and how much detail to share and when to move between different topics and that kind of thing. Essentially, it gives them that sense of being in control and autonomy is one of the really important factors for de-escalation. So open-ended questions can be particularly helpful for letting the other person feel like they're in the driver's seat of the conversation. So what happened? What was all of that like for you? How is that sitting with you now? What needs to happen to move things forward? Uh, How did you respond when they did that? What happened next? How would you like to see things being resolved? What would you need to see from them in terms of a change in behavior for you to take the fact that they're trying to be more respectful seriously? It's like whatever the context is and whatever we're talking about, a lot of the time these good questions start with what and how. What happened? How did that play out? How do you How would you like things to be moving forward? Um, How did you respond, et cetera? So open-ended questions, I think, typically are the go-to, particularly when we're dealing with conflict and people who are upset and an escalated state of emotion. Open-ended questions can work really well. But what I guess sometimes can happen is that it backfires when the other person is so what you might call frazzled or discombobulated or just all over the show kind of thing. 
There's so many f- funny Australianisms, I think, that I've discovered since doing this podcast. Like when I'm doing training workshops, I often say, you know, when you're dealing with someone and they're just all over the shop. And now I'm realizing that actually that's probably something that people in other countries are quite uh, confused about when I'm using these types of phrases. So let me know in the comments section of the podcast platform that you're listening. Am I using a particular phrase that just strikes you as really absurd? And I'd be happy to explain what it means behind the scenes. So you're dealing with someone and they're very escalated. This often happens with my son when he's had a bad day. He's seven and If I say something like, how was your day? And you'll list off six terrible tragedies that happened in the day. Like, you know, the teacher cut off their fruit time short and his friend was away so he couldn't play with him and he lost something that he'd taken to school or whatever it is. And if my goal is to de-escalate and particularly when there's something that I want to address, like maybe he's misunderstood something or I need to remind him about a homework task or there's something in amongst all of his whinging that stands out to me, Closed-ended questions can be really effective for naturally and organically bringing focus. So let's say he says something like, my friends didn't talk to me and my teacher was mean and I lost something and I'm feeling sick or whatever. And I want to talk about the feeling sick because I want to know if we need to go to the doctors or not. Well, a closed-ended question can be really effective there. It's, are you still feeling sick? Are you feeling better now or is it still something that stuck around? oh gosh, when you say that you're feeling sick, did you end up having to talk to the teacher and go up to the office or did you just get through it? So they're closed-ended questions because there's a limited number of possible responses. It's a yes or no question or did you go and do this or did this other thing happen? And I find these work particularly well in leadership roles as well. Maybe you've got a staff member who's upset about six different things that have happened that day. They've just finished their shift and they've come to you for a bit of a debrief and before you know it, it's just this big mixed up garbled mess of complaints. And there might be one or two things in amongst it that you'd like to talk about more or maybe deal with. And so closed-ended questions can be a really nice way to bring focus to that. When you mention that nobody else on the team even got back to you about that, have you ended up following up with them again since then or is that something that you'll still need to deal with? So it's a closed-ended question of did you already deal with this or is it still outstanding? But the overarching, I guess, message is that I'd like to talk about this topic. And so we organically then let some of the other stuff go through to the keeper. Is this the first time bringing this up? Has that been something that you're dealing with over a long period of time or has it just come up more recently? When you say that they haven't responded, how long has it been? All of these types of questions can be really helpful. I wouldn't ask too many of them in a row though. I think when... People get asked too many question after question after question after question. It can start to feel a little bit like an interrogation. And so probably if you've asked a few closed-ended questions, you might then ask an open-ended question. And then even if they respond and you're looking for more information, maybe considering just silence and pausing or a meaningful response like, "Uh uh-huh, oh gosh, far out, that sounds hectic, you know, this type of thing. So we're sort of demonstrating, I guess, a micro message of empathy there wow, that sounds stressful. And the underlying message is for them then to expand, oh, you have no idea then this happened or actually at the time I was feeling really calm but this was something that I've been thinking about since then or whatever. Just those types of meaningful responses when they're congruent with what the other person's been talking about and probably how they were feeling at the time as well tends to just naturally invite them to keep speaking because we're creating that resonance, I guess, in the conversation. The other tool that I mentioned was reflecting or mirroring. Different authors use different terminology to refer to this. The basic idea is that we repeat back a few of the words that the person said. 
So if they say something like, oh man, this was just the day from hell from the word go, you would repeat back something like the day from hell. You can add an upward inflection so it sounds like a bit like a question, but it's effectively not. We're just restating a few of the words that they said with a phrase. You could repeat the last few words that they said if that's the natural point that you'd like them to continue from. Or maybe there were particularly important things that they mentioned, like they said something like, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. How's your day been? (laughs) And you're thinking, wait a minute, did you just say you might need to go to the hospital? And so you'd repeat back that. You thought you might need to go to the hospital? And again, it, it tends to be this organic way of redirecting the conversation without you needing to steer it too bluntly or deliberately, which might cause them to become defensive. I really like it as a mediator for navigating and managing the conversation. Reflecting or mirroring is a really essential tool in my toolkit, to be frank, in terms of steering the topics that we bounce between. Uh, I also like it particularly when people are, I think at the beginning of a mediation, people are often on edge and quite defensive. They're probably worried that they're there as punishment or something, and they certainly don't trust me at the beginning of the process. They probably think that, I'm their boss's brother-in-law or something who's been called in to fire them. And so I'm needing to tread very carefully, particularly at the early stages, as I say. And so reflecting or mirroring is this really useful tool at the beginning of a conversation to create this quick connection to establish rapport. And I think it's one of the key tools that we can use in our active listening toolkit. Don't underestimate the importance of silence and pausing in amongst all of this too as you're bouncing between the open and closed-ended questions and mirroring or reflecting meaningful responses. Just being quiet, I think, is just an incredibly underrated tool and approach, generally speaking. The key, though, is that we need to give the other person some type of a cue or message that we're paying attention. Like I often... It sounds funny to describe it just by audio, but... Almost if you can pantomime looking concerned and looking down and giving something some thought, like, oh gosh, just let me ponder that for a moment. But I don't say that. I guess that's what I'm trying to communicate through my facial expression. And I might sort of rub my chin or rub my beard in a thoughtful way or look down at the ground or look up in the air and, you know, sort of have a gesture like I'm trying to think of an idea kind of thing. I find that type of response, some people find that really resonates with them. And I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that I'm paying attention and I'm giving what you've just said some thought. So I'm not quiet because I don't know what to say and I'm not quiet because uh, I'm disgusted or shocked or something like that. There's no judgment. It's really just let me process all of that. And in some conversations, that's actually something that I'll say, gosh, you know, that's a lot. I guess I'm just processing all of that, what you've just shared. That sounds really full on or that sounds like a lot to have dealt with or that sounds like a really challenging situation to have had to go through. Just that general type of empathy, but we're really saying that is so much. (laughs) That's so much for me to take in and that must have been so much for you to go through. And then I think when we use silence or pausing in that way, it's almost like we're adding more emphasis to what they said, if you know what I mean. It's like, that's really important. That's really significant. And I think then that that, the reason that that tends to work as an active listening approach is that we give the other person a sense of status. It's like they matter. Their experiences do seem significant to us. And in that sense, it's like the opposite of dismissing it and minimizing it. It's like, yeah, 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 I already understand that. You've told me that before. This is the opposite. It's like, gosh... Just give me a moment to think all of that through. 
oh, wow, what was all of that like? Or even talking about that with me now, what's it like going through it? What kind of emotions are still sitting there for you? So when I do training in de-escalation skills, I often talk about factors like autonomy, certainty, fairness, and status. And I think these are also really important to keep in mind when your goal is active listening. Maybe in some conversations, the person is already worked up and defensive and upset. And so you're needing to go to try and find a way to lower that level of escalation. But in other situations, during the conversation, the person might become escalated and upset. And in that case, we want to really look for the opportunities and options to, I guess, inject those factors into the conversation. Autonomy is where we want to give them the sense of being in control and being in the driver's seat. So we might say something like, do you want to grab a drink before we get started in the meeting or something like that? Or, oh gosh, it's totally up to you how much detail you'd like to share, but I'd be really curious to know what happened and maybe what you think needs to happen moving forward. But I'm sort of saying to them, it's up to you how much to share. You're the one that gets to control this. Or providing certainty. Maybe there's situations where we can keep things confidential and other times we can't. Like you might have a duty of care to the staff in your team. So just being transparent and upfront about that, I find tends to work well. Uh, Look, I just want to be honest that if you'd prefer to keep things private between us, that's perfectly fine with me. I'll check before we finish the conversation if there's any particular information that you do want to keep confidential. And by and large, I'm perfectly happy to do that. The only exceptions will be if I have concern about your well-being. So safety concerns or something like that. We have a duty of care to our team and so there might be information that I'm obliged to share with my boss who's the owner of the organisation or something like that. I mean, all of this would be case by case and depend on the situation, but if there's any limits to something like confidentiality, just being upfront about it. This is how much time we've got. This is the limits of my authority to help you with your issue. This is why I wanted to meet with you and talk through this particular experience that you've had. Just giving that background information tends to be really helpful. We should allow fairness. So if the person feels like they've really suffered or really had a hard time, then they will look to you for giving them adequate time that feels like you're paying enough importance to it, if you know what I mean. And then also status, we want to find opportunities to make them feel important. You matter effectively. And so when we're in a conflict situation and we're trying to use active listening skills, status is something that we can really emphasize and utilize as well. It could be saying something like, I wanted to meet you personally rather than just going back and forth by email because I know how significant some of these challenges have been for you. Or I wanted to meet to give you a chance to share your side of the story and to maybe give you a little bit of background as to my insights as well, if that's something that's helpful for you. I mean, it's totally up to you what would be the best use of the time in the meeting that we've got allocated today. Looking for opportunities to lower the stakes tends to work really well and clarifying the lack of consequences in some situations. Like in mediation, I often say something like, I just want to be clear that this isn't a disciplinary process. Uh, By and large, most of the information that we talk about today, I will keep confidential. I'm not going to be writing reports to your bosses about how much you share or what you say. And ultimately, it's really up to the two of you what you agree to in the mediation. This isn't the type of process where it's my job to figure out who's wrong and who's right, which hopefully helps the two of you to feel a little bit more confident and comfortable sharing what's important to you, what your experiences have been and what you think would work moving forward. So I'm really lowering the stakes. Like it's not my job to figure out who's right and wrong. I'm not going to tell you what to do, etc. We've got this much time available. There's no particular report, that kind of thing. 
And I think a lot of the time, particularly if there's an imbalance of power, like you're talking to one of your staff who obviously they report to you, so you're likely to have more power than them, just lowering the perceived, what would you say, like it's very likely that the other person thinks that you want information about something that's gone wrong and there's a high chance that they would be punished. So removing that potential threat tends to be something that works really well. So lowering the pressure, lowering the judgment, lowering criticism. It's not my job again to think through whether or not you should or shouldn't have done what you did. I'm really now engaging with the two of you to find out where things stand and what needs to happen moving forward. And just acknowledging the fact that this was a situation where the context contributed is also something that works really well for lowering that sense of perceived pressure. It's like, of course, you're going to have challenges in your working relationship. You're both flat out. You're under the pump. You're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and constantly moving pieces. And so it makes sense that every now and then there'll be things that slip through the cracks. This isn't a process of, you know, figuring out where to allocate blame. What we're really looking to do is to meet together as a team to find out what happened, what went wrong, which hopefully helps us to improve for the future. So this is the context contributing here. You've got so much uncertainty. There's so much complexity. You're very busy. You never get a chance to see each other. You're both working part-time. You're job sharing. You're online navigating communication and conflict. You're dealing with a very demanding client. It's short time frames. It's like whatever the contextual factors were that are obviously there, saying to the people that are involved in the conflict, I'm aware that this isn't all your fault, tends to be something that really goes down well. And framing the issues as much as possible in a mutual and neutral way is something that's also connected to that. Uh, I wanted to talk about the communication between the two of you versus I wanted to talk about why you're being such a jerk to the rest of your team members, that kind of thing. So that's the first step is really engaging in that explore phase, the open and closed ended questions, reflecting and mirroring, meaningful responses, silence, and building in all of those different de-escalation tools. The second phase in the process is what you might call acknowledgement. It is often best to do this in a slightly tentative way, even in situations where you feel reasonably confident that you've heard what the other person's saying correctly. And the reason that I often suggest it's good to do it tentatively is because if you get something wrong, or maybe the other person has actually miscommunicated, like they've said something that isn't actually what they think or what they believe, or when they hear it coming back from you, they realize that it's actually different to what they really want or something like that. You're effectively highlighting that they've made a mistake kind of thing. And so in all these situations, like we get it wrong or they've made a mistake and misspoken or there's something else that's going on behind the scenes, we don't want them to think that we're judging them. As soon as they get a sense of criticism or there's that crossed wires, like we're saying, it sounds like you're saying this and they're sitting there thinking, no, that's exactly the opposite of what I've just said. It will create that natural tension between us and tends to not be as effective then at demonstrating empathy. So doing it tentatively means that if we get it wrong or if they've misspoken, we don't tend to create as much of a problem for ourselves. So I often begin by saying something like, let me just check, I've heard this correctly, or I'm not sure I could fully understand what that was like for you, but it sounds like it was a little bit like this. And then explaining what you think you've heard and then following with something like, I'm not sure, have I got that right? Am I on the right track? Um, am I completely off the mark here? What, what's your take on all of that? So we're doing it very tentatively. I don't want them to think that I assume that I know everything. It's the opposite. It's like, I couldn't understand what that's been like for you. 
ironically, again, I think this often helps to create that sense of status. It's your experiences were yours and I don't know what this was all like for you. And therefore the underlying subtext is therefore I'm not judging you fully for this. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from, but I'm not assuming that I fully get it. So we would do it tentatively, but the goal of the acknowledgement phase is really to play back what the person has said. I think in many situations, it's good to do this in more detail than you might actually normally do it. So a few sentences, instead of just saying, ah, okay, that sounds like a difficult client to deal with, you could go into a bit more detail. Maybe saying something like, gosh, that sounds like a particularly challenging day for you. Not only have you had that challenging meeting with the client at the beginning of the day, and you've talked about them really going on the warpath with a number of different complaints that came out of left field. And it sounds like in that meeting, that was really challenging for you because you were doing your best to put out the fires and make sure that things weren't all of a sudden getting worse and creating crises. But at the same time, you weren't prepared. So it meant that you were trying to come up with options off the top of your head. And then to make things worse, it sounds like as soon as you've got finished with that meeting, you've ended up running into the other business partner of the same client and they've given you a repeat serving of all of the same abusive types of complaints. So it sounds like for you, that's been incredibly draining. And so then when the other members of the team were a little bit short and curt, maybe more than they normally would be, which wasn't necessarily anything to do with you, it has unfortunately pushed your buttons more than it might normally do so, which has contributed to that argument that it sounds like played out after lunch between you and them. Have I got that right? Does does that sort of sound like how some of those different events might be connected in the buildup of stress for both of you? So I'm really summarizing what they've said. It's like, this sounds like the story, this, then this, then this, then this. Have I got that right? I'm building in the emotional experiences that they might've had, particularly where it's like underlying anger. It sounds like that was really frustrating. It sounds like that was quite overwhelming. It sounds like that was very confronting. Whatever it might be, caught you off guard, caught you off out of the, out of, uh, the blue, out of left field. Again, this is where we're trying to emphasize the context has contributed to this. It's not all your fault. That sounds like a really difficult situation to be in. If we're acknowledging something that the person's saying that we disagree with, we can still empathize. The key in one of the particular techniques I really like as a mediator actually is creating distance. It's really useful as well when you need to remain impartial, like I am as a mediator and you would have to as well if you're a business owner or a manager or a team leader. There would be a level of impartiality that you need to maintain between staff and that's challenging to know how to do that when one person's complaining about somebody else. And so one of the things I do is use use phrases to create distance. So I say things like from your perspective and from how you see things and from where you sit It sounds like your take on it is this. And then we summarize it. You know, they've been letting you down and not pulling their weight and you've been constantly fixing mistakes that they've made. And so from your perspective, you're just sick of it. And it's reached a point where, at least from where you stand, they should probably have some type of a performance management process um, because their mistakes are not improving. So we're really summarizing what the person said, but we're not implying any type of judgment and certainly not that I agree. It's like, okay, well, look, we've all probably got a different idea of who's right and who's wrong in this situation, but it sounds like from your experience, this is your take on things. And I tend to find that it still does come across as effective. It resonates if I'm genuine 
I think if the other person gets a sense that like I'm rolling my eyes or speaking a little bit sarcastically or condescendingly or something like that, it doesn't work. So if you're trying to empathize with something that you disagree with, you probably need to be a little bit more over the top at being genuine and being sincerely curious. It's like, okay, well, look, uh, you know, I trust you and I know that you're competent. I see things differently, but I'm just not sure what to make of that. Have I missed something or maybe you're looking at different information to me or it's possible maybe that you've got a different perspective and you're adding a different level of importance to one thing over the other. Even that, it's like, I've got a different perspective here, but what do you make of it? Like, help me understand where you're coming from or can you sort of see my perspective? Is there a particular bit of information that you think would change my mind? That kind of thing. It's in this very genuine way that I'm still trying to acknowledge. It sounds like this is your perspective. Have I got that right? And then the third step in the active listening process is to respond. And how you respond would depend on the situation. I suppose you could just say yes, no worries, I'm happy to get that organized for you. You could say no, look, I appreciate why you're asking and why it would why it's important for you. Uh, at this stage, we don't have room within the budget or that's not something that I can organize or that's not going to be possible or something like that. We could compromise or negotiate. Look, I can't do what you'd like me to do, but what about this? You know, I'm not going to put them on a performance management plan, but if you like, I'd be happy to organize a meeting with the three of us and we could talk through the issues and see if we can come up with some kind of a plan that might prevent this from continuing moving forward. We could refer them to somebody else. It sounds like this is the person you'd need to go to, talk to someone in finance, talk to someone in HR, whatever. We could coach them. This, I think, is a really helpful approach when you don't want to be the rescuer, like you don't want to come in and solve the problem for them, which unfortunately often means that next time there's a problem, they come to you to solve it for them again and rescue them again and creates this cycle of dependency almost. Whereas coaching is to say something like, what do you think would work? How are you going to be able to manage this? What do you think would be the best way forward in terms of you communicating with them? So I'm sort of brainstorming and helping them to come up with options, but I'm not necessarily the one that says you should do this. We could postpone. Thanks for flagging it with me. I can see where you're coming from. It sounds like it was this and this and this. Have I got that right? Okay, look, I'd like to maybe give it some thought or do a bit more background research. Would it be okay if we organize a time to meet early next week and we can go through it in a bit more detail? But even if you decide to postpone, I find that that essential element of exploring and acknowledging means that the person knows that it's being taken seriously. So that then if you say something like, I'm too busy, I'm flat out at the moment, could we circle back to it, you know, in a few weeks time or whatever, they at least get the sense that you've taken it seriously, which I think tends to help them agree to something like, let's postpone it for now. Or maybe you collaborate and say, look, what do you think would work? Let's organize you and the other person who you're in conflict with to sort it out. How about you and me organize a time to go through and put a plan together? How about if we do this, you can tackle this end of the problem and I can do this. What do you think would work best? So all of those different options for responding would depend on the situation, but all of them are going to have a much higher likelihood of success if you've been more thorough and effective in the way that you've explored and acknowledged early on in the conversation. So I hope that that's been helpful for you looking at that EAR acronym of active listening. If you're in a management or leadership role at your work, I would love to hear from you about the kind of situations that you find challenging or the kind of techniques, I guess, the kind of techniques that have worked for you, the different approaches that you've developed over time as you've gained experience or 
maybe something that you've learned from someone else, a mentor or someone that you really look up to at work who's really good at active listening, what do they do? I'm going to set up a question that you can ask, oh, sorry, answer on Spotify. So if you've got a moment to check out Spotify for this episode of the podcast, which is episode 40, um, have a go at that. I might ask a question along the lines of what have your experiences been like in active listening at work? And I'd love to hear your perspective around some of those different ideas that I've just mentioned. If you've got an idea for a future episode of the podcast, a question, or you'd like to know more information about my training workshops or courses and that kind of thing, you can check out my website. It's simongood.com. That spelling is S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. There's an E on the end. And if you want to shoot me an email, the best way to get in touch is podcast at simongood.com. Again, if it's been helpful for you, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribe for future similar resources around topics like communication skills, de-escalation, active listening, high-conflict personalities, assertiveness, and then keeping yourself sane in amongst all of this pretty stressful workplace conflict that a lot of us are dealing with day-to-day these days. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.